want to invite you to grab your Bible with me this morning, or you can open that Bible app, grab a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, but join me in Malachi chapter 2, Malachi chapter 2, and today we're going to talk a little bit about the, the consequences of leadership malpractice among the people of God. Y'all know that in our culture in particular, we are a nation of courtrooms, and one of the things that we are faced on a regular basis are accusations of professional malpractice, the kind of business practices that are bad or corrupt or evil, and this specifically is speaking of people who are incompetent or negligent in whatever service they're trained to provide, which, which can happen in a number of different areas. Things like legal malpractice, medical malpractice, mechanical malpractice, architectural malpractice, and even ministerial malpractice. And if the prophet Malachi were here this morning preaching from this pulpit, he would probably say especially ministerial malpractice. Because this is the topic that he tackles beginning in Malachi chapter 2. Two weeks ago, we looked at the end of chapter 1, which was a scathing indictment of priests and the people of God because of their failure to honor God in worship and their failure to fear God in their spiritual lives with him. But as we turn the page to chapter 2, we see that Malachi is really on the same subject again. If we were to divide the book of Malachi into different units and sections of Scripture, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6 through chapter 2 and verse 9 would be one section. Now, we're preaching this in two sermons, but Malachi has accused the people of getting off track and making worship more about them than about God. Through the prophet, God says, where is my honor? Where is my fear? Here at the beginning of chapter 2, Malachi digs a little bit deeper and he helps us to understand why that had happened among the people of God. In fact, in the very first verse, Malachi chapter 2 verse 1, here's what he says. And now, O priests, this command is for you. And that's all you need to know in order to understand that everything that he's about to say is an accusation against the leadership of the people of God. God puts the blame squarely on the shoulders of the priest for spiritually leading the people astray. It was leadership malpractice, and our passage today gives us a fuller picture of this massive leadership failure, one that we never want to replicate among the people of God. Well, let's go ahead and read our passage for today. Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, here is what it says. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you did not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces." the dung of your offerings and i shall take it away take and you shall be taken away with it so shall you know that i have sent this command to you that my covenant with levi may stand says the lord of hosts my covenant with him was one of life and peace and i gave them to him 
It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was, on, was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Now, the first thing that I want to do here is to make it very clear that our, our message today is not just talking to a group of ordained people. That would be a small group of, of people here this morning. But I think that, this, that there's application from this passage uh, that goes far beyond full-time Christian ministry. I really, I really do believe that this uh, uh, passage is for all of us here this morning because whether you know it or not and whether you like it or not, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then if you've been born again, if you've been adopted into the family of God, then God has called you to some kind of leadership among his family. You may be called to lead a small group, which makes you a a spiritual leader. You may be called to be a Sunday school teacher, which makes you a spiritual leader. You may be leading a children's church uh, class in the, the, with the kids here at the church, which makes you a spiritual leader. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm, I guess I'm off the hook because I, I'm not serving in one of those areas around the church, but what about the home? Because one of the most influential leadership positions of all is in the home as a spiritual mother or a spiritual father, a spiritual grandparent or a, a spiritual aunt or uncle. And I think that when it comes down to it, all of us as Christians are a kingdom of priests, that we are part of the priesthood of believers. And every single one of us has some sort of leadership within the family of God. Listen, we are all called to faithfulness. We are all called to fruitfulness in whatever spiritual leadership we have. And so with that in mind, let me just share with you three things that I think will help us, uh, help keep us in whatever uh, spiritual leadership position we have from drifting towards spiritual malpractice. First of all, notice with me that effective spiritual leaders understand the seriousness of their calling. In other words, we take our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and our responsibilities with the Lord Jesus Christ very, very seriously. Not flippantly, not carelessly, not casually, not on again, off again. Effective spiritual leaders understand the seriousness of their calling. And for some, again, that, that might be full-time vocational ministry. It might be a, a call to missions. It might be a call to volunteering in ministry. It might be a call to uh, ministry in the home. Now, in Malachi's day, the priests were called by God, and they served under what was called the 
covenant of Levi. In verse 4, the prophet references this covenant of Levi. Then here's what he says in verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Verse 6, true instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. Why was that the case? Well, because he was serious about his calling. He was serious about this covenant that God had made with him. Now, in case you're not familiar with this, Levi was part of the original 12 tribes of Israel, the, the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob. You, you might remember Dan and Gad and Simeon and Judah, Asher and Naphtali, Issachar, and all the rest of those that entered into the promised land and inherited that land. We, we actually have a map that we're going to put up on the screen here this morning so that you can kind of see this this morning. But Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land. And over a period of decades, they began to settle that land. And each tribe was given a certain portion of the land to live in and to care for it. Well, what, what you need to know is that the tribe of Levi wasn't given any of that land. Now, if you look up there on the map, you'll still count that there are 12 plots of land. That's because jo uh, Joseph... His plot was divided between his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. But Levi was not given any of the land. You don't see his name here on this map. And that's because God had selected the tribe of, uh, of Levi to be the priests. Their calling was not to a plot of land. Their calling was to the tabernacle and then to the temple. Their calling was to the place of worship. And the covenant of Levi was really a covenant with Aaron and his descendants. Aaron was Moses' brother, and Moses and Aaron were Levites. And God had established this covenant of Levi to be implemented by those who, call, uh, who came from the line of, uh, and the lineage of Aaron. And so the priests were Levites. In fact, you couldn't be a priest if you weren't a Levite, a descendant of Aaron. And these priests had a tremendous responsibility among the people of God. They led worship. They um, offered sacrifices, taught the law, maintained the temple. Now, the priest didn't get any land, but they were supported by the tithes and offerings that were given by the other tribes. The other tribes would support their spiritual leaders. They would support the, the temple and the activities that would take place there. And so the Levites were supported by the other tribes who had received portions of the promised land. Now, this covenant of Levi, it's described in a similar way to what we saw a couple of weeks ago. It was a covenant of fear. Uh, something that both the priests and the people of Malachi's day had lost, that they were no longer walking with a fear of the Lord. But, but this is the uh, covenant of fear based on the Levitical understanding of holiness and righteousness and the purity of Almighty God. Th these Levites were supposed to be consistently men uh, of godly character who feared the Lord, men who lived in awe of God's name, but they had lost that. 
They, they were to teach the people to know the law. They, they were to teach the people to faithfully obey the law. But again, that just wasn't happening. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 10. It says, and of Levi, he said, referring to the priests, they shall teach Jacob, that's a reference to Israel, they shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Malachi picks up on this idea in chapter 2 and verse 6, and here's what he says. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of the priests should guard uh, knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So these priests, they had the primary ministry of teaching. And the reason why this teaching ministry was so important was because if you don't have accurate teaching of the word of God, you won't have acceptable worship of God. And the reason why the people weren't worshiping God in the right way was because the the priests weren't accurately teaching the word of God in the right way, which is just as true for us today as it was for them back in their day. There's always a connection between the faithful teaching of the word of God and effective worship of the people of God. Without faithful teaching from the word of God, uh, worship becomes self-centered. And so as a preacher, as a teacher of the word of God, I can't just say things that I want to say. I need to say and teach the things that God wants me to say. Because without that, worship will devolve into meaningless ritual and mindless tradition. Friends, faithful teaching is critical because it reinforces the standard of holiness. Listen, this is the word of God. It is not the Levite's word. It is not the preacher's word, the elder's word, the trustee's word, the Sunday school teacher's word. No, this is the very word of God. The message belongs to him. We are just called to be faithful stewards of that word. And this is why Paul would write later on to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, not long before his death, and he would say this, but or by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What he's really saying there is guard the gospel. That's the good deposit. And the good deposit was given to Timothy. The good deposit was also given to Paul. And it is the good deposit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to say, preach the word. Uh, Not preach philosophy, not preach opinion, not preach headlines. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So God's leaders are to teach the word of God. But also I want you to notice that they are supposed to model the truth of God's word as well. You know, it's hard to listen to somebody and to do what it is that they're telling you to do if they're not doing it themselves. 
In the second part of verse 6, it says, He, Levi, walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. And so being consistent in what it is that you say as well as what it is that you do is vitally important. And listen, this is easier said than done because we live in a world that is just full of temptations. Got a uh, picture here, a news article from a couple of years ago that we're going to put up on the screen here. And I don't do this in order to uh, somehow bash our our state governor or anything like that. I mean, all of us face temptations like this. And at times we all say things and we do things that, that don't line up with each other. Well, the headline just says this. Illinois governor dodges question about wife skipping town during COVID. And what happened was back in May of 2020, the state governor, uh, J.D. Pritzker, had made a mandate at the beginning of this whole COVID pandemic and everyone had to stay at home. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere. You, you couldn't go out of state. You couldn't go to work. You couldn't go to school. Or really, the only place that you could go was to the uh, grocery store and there was a limited number of people who were allowed into the grocery store at one time. Well, a, a couple of days after this mandate had been put into place, uh, there was uh, someone in Florida, they're out at the beach, they were allowed to be outside, but um, they saw Mrs. Pritzker and the kids there, and so they pull out their phone, and they start uh, snapping pictures and video, and all of a sudden there is this big controversy because Governor Pritzker didn't practice what he preached. Well, th- th- this is what Malachi is reminding us of here. That we need to preach and we need to practice because our ministry calling involves both of those two things. And so regardless of what your ministry calling is, you need to preach the word, to teach the word, and to walk in the spirit. Because only when you teach the word and only when you walk in the spirit will ministry bear fruit for the glory of God. Love this quote from Oswald Chambers that we're going to put on the screen. He just says this, be careful that you don't become a hypocrite by spending all your time trying to get other others right with God before you worship God yourself. Such a powerful statement. Be careful that you don't become a hypocrite by spending all your time trying to get others right with God before you worship God yourself. Friends, this is a serious calling that we have. Fear the Lord, teach the word, model the word. The second thing about effective spiritual leaders is that they understand their accountability before God. Effective spiritual leaders understand their accountability before God, that one day Christ is coming back and each one of us is going to stand before him and give an account, which takes us from God's Uh, covenant with the priest to God's charge against the priest. God had been reminding them of their calling and the seriousness of their calling. And now in verse 8, he says, but you. And when God says that, you know that's not good. He's been giving them the standard. He's been showing them the job description, peace, righteousness, walking the walk, teaching the purity of the word. And so he says, here's what you're supposed to be doing, but you are not doing that. 
verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I will make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you did not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Quickly here, I want to just in these verses show you four accusations that God makes. First, we're told that the priests disobeyed God, that they turned aside from the way. They did not live out the law of God, and they did not effectively teach the law of God. So they disobeyed God, but secondly, they divided the people. They caused people to stumble. They were exercising spiritual malpractice among the people of God, and people were being tripped up because of it. And some of them were even emulating the model of the priest, which was no model at all. Now, it's bad enough when leaders stumble, and we have seen that in the headlines. Prominent leaders trip up and, and fall, and people love to just hold them, these things up and, and just shout it to the world and, and make a mockery of them. But every time that something like that happens, it affects other people. That model, that moral failure, and I'm not just talking about pastors here, but moral failure uh, impacts more than just one or two people. It is like a tsunami that just destroys everything in its path. Listen, the Lord knows that there is one thing that I never want to do. And my wife and my kids could stand up this morning and testify that I am not a perfect person at all. The, the, the Bible, the word of God is infallible. It is inerrant, but the preacher is not. But one thing that I never want to do is make a shipwreck of somebody else's faith because of their own, uh, of, because of my own spiritual uh, complacency. I mean, you talk about accountability here, but Jesus, he would say this. He says, it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you be cast into the sea than that you should cause one of these little ones to sin. And when Jesus uses that term there, little ones there, he's not just talking about toddlers. He is talking about little ones in the faith, people who are trying to grow in the faith. There is a high price to pay for causing one of them to stumble. Listen, I believe that every spiritual leader should at least want to say, like the Apostle Paul did, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I mean, we ought to be able to say that to our kids. Kids, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm not perfect. I'm going to mess up along the way, but I want you to follow me as I follow Jesus. Spouses ought to be able to say that to each other. We ought to be able to say that to our co-workers and our, our friends, our neighbors. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I, I believe that every one of us should be, have a desire to be an example, to be a living example in what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ, never leading people away from Jesus, but leading people towards Jesus. Thirdly, they disregarded God's priority. They corrupted the covenant of Levi. The word corrupted there means to spoil or to ruin. It's the same word that's used to describe the Israelites when Moses was up on the mountain with God. 
So Moses is up and he's having this incredible experience with God and he's receiving the law from God and God says, um, listen, uh, I think you need to go back down the mountain because you need to check on your people. And again, I found this kind of interesting because God didn't say, hey, go down and check on my people. And the reason why is because they're building this golden calf. They're making this idol. And, and God looks at Moses and he says, you better go down and check on your people because they aren't acting like my people. They are corrupting themselves. It's the same word that Malachi uses here. They're, they're ruining themselves and many of them would die because of it. So these people in Malachi's day had disregarded God's priority. And then finally, they demonstrated partiality. They were showing favoritism, probably to people who had a lot of money. Showing bias, showing favoritism, showing partiality, not treating everyone in the same way, but treating people differently based on their influence, based on their standing. And the Bible is very clear about this, that we should not be doing these things. James chapter 2 is probably the greatest example of this. It's seven verses long, but there in verse 1, James is talking to the church and he says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He goes on to say that when we show partiality for people, what we're showing is reverence for them instead of reverence for God. And so these spiritual leaders, they had failed to live in holiness. They had failed to teach biblically. They had lowered the standard of worship. They had devalued and dishonored the name of God. And it had happened because they had lost sight of their accountability before God. They they would never curse God. They, They just had forgotten about God. And that always comes with a cost, which takes us to our final principle, and that just is that effective spiritual leaders understand the consequences of their disobedience. Effective spiritual leaders understand the consequences of their disobedience. He's charged these leaders with spiritual malpractice, and now he turns his attention to the inevitable consequences if they don't get their act together. Here's what he says in verse 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to honor, uh, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you did not lay it to heart. We've already talked about the four charges against these leaders, but now... Uh, he gives us three consequences that are pretty significant here. First, he says, you know what? I'm going to curse your blessings. This is kind of an unusual statement. You would expect that God would say, you know what? I'm going to curse you. But instead, he says, I'm going to curse your blessings. And I'm glad that he says this because I I think that what the Lord is trying to do here with this statement is that he is trying to remind them of how blessed they really were. He's trying to remind them of the incredible privilege that they had of being the called out priests of God. And and they received this simply because of the grace of God. 
None of them had been able to control the fact that they were born into the, the tribe of Levi, just like none of us are able to control where we're born. These guys were Levites by the grace of God, and God reminds them, look at all of these privileges and blessings that are yours. You get to teach the law to the people. You get to offer sacrifices. You get to serve in the temple and protect and guard the holy things of God. You get to receive the tithes and all of the, the people bring their gifts that you could live on because of your service to God and your service to them. And yet God says, listen, these are blessings that I'm going to curse. Reminds me a lot of what God did when he cursed the ground when Adam sinned. I mean, at one time, Adam worked the ground joyfully and it wasn't a burden to him. But then God curses the ground, and now there's all of these weeds, and it's just backbreaking labor. And God cursed the ground when Adam sinned, and, and now he's doing a similar thing when he curses these blessings of those who were called to serve him. God also says, secondly, in verse 3, that he would rebuke their offspring, their descendants, that, that he, his curse on them was going to affect their children. And, and we could preach a whole sermon on this, but a lot of times we think that our sin just affects us, that our sin is our business and nobody else's. But that's just not true. Sin, uh, your sin is everybody else's business because it affects everybody else around you when, when you decide that you're going to do your own thing independently of God. And so God is going to rebuke their offspring. But also in verse 3, he says that he is going to humiliate and remove them. Again, here's what it says there in verse 3. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. It's a pretty graphic picture that's given here, isn't it? I, I, think, I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking of, of entitling the message this morning, When It All Hits the Fan. Uh, but but what, what's being referenced here is the guts of the animal that was being sacrificed. And that part of the animal was not to be sacrificed. And so they would gut the animal because that's where the dung was, and that was unclean to God. And so they would clean all of that out before offering the sacrifice, and then they would throw it out on the dung heap. Now, we have a, a picture, uh, uh, um, an image of the city of Jerusalem that we're going to put up on the screen here, a map of the city. And you'll notice there that there are eight gates uh, around the city walls. And at the bottom of this picture is circled there in blue, highlighted there, the dung gate. And that is where the guts of these animals would be taken. They'd be thrown out. Eventually, they would be burned because they were unclean. But, but here God says, you know what, I'm going to smear that stuff all over your face. And really what he's saying is, I'm going to humiliate you. I'm going to disrespect you in front of all the people. Again, verse 9, he says, And so I will make you despised and abased before the people. Unfortunately, this is not just a problem that happened in Malachi's day, but this is a problem that happens in our day as well. Christian leaders who have been caught in sin 
and their influence has been removed, lampstand removed. This is one of the reasons why the Apostle James would issue a very timeless warning in James chapter 3 when he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, you know, the last thing that I want to do this morning is to leave us with dung on our faces. There is a remedy. There is a way out. And the way out is the way back. The way out is the way back to God. The way out is to listen and to follow the central message of the book of Malachi, which is, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Here in verse 2, when he says, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, which it implies here that they can listen, that they can take God to heart. There's still time. We, 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 still, we can still listen to the voice of God. We can still get serious about seriously worshiping God and serving God with integrity. And the way out is the way back. Confession and repentance. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. We're all called to spiritual leadership of some kind in the family of God. The message from God's word is to never forget how seriously God takes that calling. And that we need to live with the understanding that we are all accountable to God with how we influence others with the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.